We are, uh, we're coming to a, coming to an end here, uh, to, to Acts, and starting Acts chapter 28, and uh, that is going to be, um, uh, this is going to take us through the next, uh, the next three weeks, uh, and then um, we will be done. You will have completed a whole study of the book of Acts, so well done, and hopefully this was a good travel for you as we went through all of this, but uh, one of the things that I have continually uh, spoke about uh, in this sermon series, I kept saying a phrase, bold and courageous witnesses. Now raise your hand if you've heard me say that before, bold and courageous witness. Put them up in the hand. Yes. Okay, good. I tried that at the first service and I went bold and courageous thinking they were going to say witness and it was crickets. No one said anything. It was embarrassing and so I pivoted for you all so that we don't have to do that. But it is a theme that I've continued to, to roll out that, that I definitely think Acts, Acts teaches us. It teaches us how to be bold. It teaches us how to be courageous in our witness of who Jesus Christ is to other people. I want you to take out a pencil and your journals, if you've got them, or a back of your bulletins. You're going to write something down. Class is in session, okay? So let's call it together and everyone pay attention, especially you, Jenny Hur. All right, so... Take out a pencil. This is what I want you to write down. So bold and courageous witness. I want you to write down three words. Three words that come to your mind that describe how you can be a bold and courageous witness. Like what does it mean to be a bold and courageous witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? Give me three words that just encapsulate that whole phrase. Three words. Can't use bold. Can't use courageous. Give me three words that empower, describe what it means to be a bold and courageous witness. Go. Okay. All right. Now, Susie, what do you got? Strong. Strong. All right. Good. What other ones? Shout them out. Honest. Serving. Serving. Good, good, good. Compassion. Excellent. Eyes on your own paper. What other ones? Fearless. Fearless. Oh, I love it. Others? Risk. Persistent. Of God. I love that. Called? Faithful. Faithful. Carrie, are you going to say anything? Or? No, okay, just wondering. <laughs> this one over here, oh my gosh. Yes, excellent, excellent. Now, I did that because if you're like me, bold and courageous, at least what, what wells up inside of me at, at first hearing of that phrase, and I'm the one who uses it all, all the time, I lean more military. I lean more conquering, like, like fearless and strong and mighty army for the Lord. Stand firm in your convictions and present the truth without being ashamed. And if you're like me, that fails to take into consideration the whole picture of Jesus, of who he was, of what he came to do, what he instructed us to do, because there are not only are there very active and strong adjectives for that, there is also more gentle and passive attributes as well that are equally blessed. Being humble, being gentle. Someone said compassionate, very good. Kindness and love. Today we take a three-month tour of the island of Malta. We're not going to spend three months on it, but Paul shipwrecked there. He did three months. He has his own, as I said before, Gilligan Island adventure here on this three-month tour. And they find themselves safely ashore. Now, if you remember Acts 27, the ship runs aground, it breaks apart, and they make for the beach. They swim to get there. Those who could swim, great. Those who couldn't, they were instructed to help the others who, who could not swim. And so they get to the island safely, and they are with people whom Luke 
describes as barbarians. In our, in our text that we're about to see here in just a minute, he used the, the English translated as native, but actually the Greek word is barbarian. So kind of uncultured uh, group of folks uh, that they run into. We get a lesson today, a foundational lesson. Now, now, Dorothy back there, don't click on the big idea until I say big idea, okay? All right, very good, because I'm going to hold everyone in suspense as to what that is. You just have to wait. But we are going to get a fundamental lesson today on evangelism and what it means to be a bold and courageous witness. So let's dive in. Everyone open up to Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. That's page 1,114. You can also look at it on your phones. You can look at it uh, in the Pew Bibles and your journals. Let's look at Acts chapter 28. Where are we at with Paul and his, in this really, really long boat ride? After we were brought safely through, this is Luke writing, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us, circle this, unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he put them on the fire and a viper came out, a snake, a possibly poisonous snake. We don't know if it was actually a viper. There's some translation things there, but a snake of, of, of aggression uh, comes out and fastens around his hand. Now, the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand and they said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, and that's a capital letter J there, that means the God of justice or goddess, I believe, has not allowed him to live. You see, in this kind of pagan culture here, what they, what they look at in terms of sea voyages and, and things like that, and, and, they know, and I think they realize that Paul is with a bunch of prisoners, they would have thought that the voyage at sea was a way to pronounce them guilty. In other words, if they had not survived justice, the goddess of justice would have enacted that, they would have been dead, and justice would have been served. But that didn't happen, right? They, may, they get safely to the beach. But then they witness the snake come around his hand, and they think, oh, for sure, for sure, he is, he is going to die, and justice will be served. He didn't escape the goddess of justice. Well, Paul shakes off the creature into the fire and suffers no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Now, can you imagine that campfire story? As they're all there, and all these native people are just like, you know, just kind of looking and waiting to see if he falls down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. And now get this. They said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named uh, Publius. How do you say that? I should have listened to that, and I didn't. We're just going to call him Sir. So, we named him, island name, sir, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now, you need to know something about Malta. It's part of the Roman Empire. And so, this guy here, he's kind of like the first amongst, amongst them all. He's probably a Roman official that's kind of governing that, that area. But for some reason, Luke still describes the people as kind of uncultured, barbarian in nature, native to the land. So, you just kind of have this weird juxtaposition of what's here. So anyways, they meet this guy, and they have hospitality for three days. It's wonderful. And it happened that the father of the guy also lay sick with fever and dysentery. So Paul visited him and prayed, and by putting hands on him, healed him. And when he had, this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who also had diseases came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed 
And after three months, they leave. It's the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. How, how wonderful is a picture of that? The ship that gets them to this island that they did not plan for, it was not on their itinerary to be there, ship busts apart, everything is gone, and as they leave, they get another ship and everything restored again. It's just a wonderful act of God's grace over the whole thing. There are two main teaching points that I want to pull out from this text here, and one of them is this idea of this unusual kindness is shown to Paul and the company. See, the, the natives of the, of, the, of the island, they see that the company, the, the crew, Paul and all of them, that they're cold. It's starting to rain. And so what do they do? They build a fire. They anticipated their needs, and they built a fire to bring them warmth. And then the guy, the first, the chief of the island, they go there and they receive hospitality for three days, which is wonderful. And then when they get ready to leave, they get all the provisions. This is just unusual kindness that's coming away. Why does, why does Luke coin it as such? The word there, unusual, means not ordinary. In other words, we could translate in English, not ordinary kindness that was out of the ordinary. What could we expect that would have been an ordinary treatment of this, this occurrence, of this shipwreck on this island? Well, if you are the Maltons, uh, seeing the Roman presence come onto your land, soldiers, a centurion, all the things, you probably would be a little afraid because they, I would assume, under, since they're under Roman occupation, would understand Roman rule. And if you've got an army of Roman people coming in on your land, that's probably not great. It's probably not great things are not about to happen. But not only do they see them, but they see them coming in the state that they're coming in. No ship, no weapons, nothing. Looking like drowned rats, right? And so what they, what I think Luke, and, and it's not written here, I'm just trying to read, read what's there. What I think Luke is saying by not ordinary kindness is that they could have been taken advantage of. They, they, these, these natives, these barbarians, whatever you want to call them, these, the, this, these island citizens, they could have taken advantage of the situation, could have imprisoned them all, could have killed them, could have done all sorts of things. But that's not what happens. They didn't do that. They didn't take them over. Instead, they showed unusual kindness. This word kindness is translated in the Greek as the word philanthropy. It's where we get the word philanthropy. And philanthropy is two Greek words smushed together. Philos, which means friend, and anthropos of man. And the connotation behind this is that you are treating someone with generosity and brotherly, sisterly love because they are created in the image of God. Let me say that again. Treating someone with genuine kindness because you know that they, like you, are created in the image of God. Get this grace-filled picture that we have here. These, these natives are demonstrating Christ-like generosity, kindness, and compassion to this Roman company, having never received the gospel before. This is an untouched land of Christian missionaries. And it really flies in the face of the Jewish thought of the time that Paul's bucking up against, that you have to be a good ethnic Jew in order to respond and receive and act in the ways of the one true creator God. Here, a shipwreck on an island that was not planned, finding native people of the island, and they are receiving Christ-like kindness, grace, and generosity. And the kindness was then also reciprocated. My second point of this, of this little passage. Paul helps with the fire. He gathers wood and he helps. And then he goes on to heal people, heal the father, heal all the sick. 
And they remain there for three months, and there's no recorded of any uprising and no recording of any overtaking by the Romans. So there's some head scratchers of this text. Why didn't they take advantage of the company, of the Roman group? Why did the Roman company not assert their power? And probably more importantly, why didn't Paul rebuke the efforts of the natives when they named him a god? Because that's a little out of character for him. What is Luke presenting to us in this story? What is God wanting us to see with this interaction? God is teaching us here about unusual kindness. Why wasn't there a power struggle? Why wasn't there ha things happening there? It's because I think God, in His unusual kindness, covered this with His grace. And He brought up a sense of compassion and a sense of gen gentleness and a sense of love in these native people who poured that out onto this Roman company. And in the same manner with the Romans, He brought in a sense of humility. They are not in a position to take power. They actually need these natives' help in order to continue on with their journey. And so everyone kind of breaks, brought down to an equal standing with each other. That's all by God's grace, I believe. And then when Paul throws the snake into the fire and they see that he's fine and they proclaim him as a god, why didn't he take the time to set them right? That's out of character for Paul. Acts 14, Paul and his friend Barnabas are in the uh, city town of, of Lystra, and they are ministering to these Gentile people, and they get to thinking that Paul and Barnabas are gods. And they raise them up and say, oh, Barnabas, you must be Zeus, and Paul, you must be Her Hermes. And then they get the Zeus priest dude, and he comes out, and he's about to lop off animals and sacrifice to them. And Paul and Barnabas rip their clothes and they say, don't do this. Why are you doing this? And then they begin to teach them. They say, no, 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 no. Look at all the things that you've been provided for. Look at your lands. Look at your harvest. This all comes from the one true creator God who oversees nature, who oversees the rains, who's provided this for you. Turn from these pagan ways and worship the one true God. That's what they do in Lystra. Well, here now in Malta, they name him a God, but Luke doesn't record any interaction between Paul and them of Paul saying, absolutely not, may it never be. No, what Paul does is that he continues on in this godlike manner and begins healing people. What is going on? What are we supposed to see? I think God is teaching us, just as he is teaching Paul, this foundational truth about evangelism, about being a bold and courageous witness. Here's the big idea. Get pencils ready to write that down. You're going to want to know it. You ready? I love that. Love that energy. The foundational emotion and motive of our bold and courageous witness is that the grace, there is grace, is the grace of unusual kindness that we extend to one another. The big idea for today is the grace of unusual kindness and how this works. Our evangelism of others must simply begin, my friends, with kindness. The type of kindness that I describe for my brother and sister, that I view them as a creation of God, created in the image of God, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their religion, no matter how different it is from mine and no matter how horrific their ideals may be. That I would treat them with love and generosity regardless of the color of their skin, 
regardless of the differences in our nationality and our culture, that I would treat them with love and generosity no matter what lifestyle they may engage in. Or maybe even for our week to this week, how they may vote. We have to begin with a genuine philanthropy, a love for our fellow brother and sister because we truly believe that they too, just like us, are created in God's image and that they too have struggles in this world just like us with living up to that image and that all of us, all of us, are in need of the generosity and kindness that Christ has shown us. Everyone needs that. Imagine how powerful and bold our witness could be just by simply demonstrating the same love and kindness to others that we have received in Jesus. We live in such a hostile climate right now, such a hostile climate right now. And it's not just Christians being treated with hostility because of our biblical ethic, our conservative views of the Bible. It's not just us receiving hospitality. I would challenge that also there are Christians who are doing the same thing to others who don't follow what they believe. The hostility is going back and forth. There's dividing lines being drawn, and it's just anger, hostility, and dividing lines. There's no hearing. There's no listening. There's no compassion. There's no grace and mercy when that happens. The book of James tells us that if we are seated in that type of anger, emotion for one another, we can't see the righteousness of God. We can't see those things begin. That's not a bold and courageous witness. There, to be in that sense of hostility and division is just a resounding gong and a clashing symbol of noise that Paul talks about. It's a, it's a life with others that's devoid of love. See, Paul calls us to be ambassadors of Christ. It's in Ephesians. Ambassadors of Christ, which means to be conduits of the grace of Christ to other people, to let it flow in us and transform us and flow out to other folks so that they experience that same love and that same grace and mercy and kindness. My friends, how is that going in your lives now? What battle lines have you possibly drawn and have kept people away? Where have you said to someone, you got to get right in order for me to hear and receive you and love you? Shared a story at the first service and I said the same thing and that I was on the fence of sharing it, but I'm going to share it because this is a part of the story here. I have, I have walked this line. I have walked the line of, with someone near and dear to me of where I needed to hold true to what I believed in the Bible as, the, as, as what I feel that God says and what he has for the best of us, but then also having to demonstrate love and compassion with someone I love. I have three sisters, and my youngest sister, when she turned 18, decided to run away from home. And it was a very, very jarring day. I still remember the scenes. I still remember the, the vision of the, the screen being knocked out. We had a one-floor one rancher, and so outside you see the screen just on the bushes. I remember kicking the door down to get into her room and seeing all of her personal belongings still on the bed. She just up and left. And so then we started to begin looking at text messages and into things online, began to see a picture that was forming. And she had said to a friend that I'm just going to walk in traffic and call it, call it a day, basically. This is what I want to do. And so for about eight hours, we had no idea where she was. Church friends gathered around us and we searched high and low Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida is the biggest city landmass in the United States. And we searched it. 
bus stations downtown, looking in the buses, trying to figure out where she may be, walking into woods and thinking that I'm going to look up and see a horrific sight. But she comes home, thanks be to God, and decides then to, to let us know why she ran away. She ran away out of fear because she identifies as, as a lesbian and did not know how to say this to our family, our conservative family. And she had to have a conversation with my mother and my father, and they had been, it's taken years to work through all of that. But I had a conversation with her that night as well. At that point, I was a youth minister. I was in seminary. I was doing all those things. And I remember sitting on her bed and having to have a conversation with her where she asked me my views on it, and I didn't shy away from my biblical ethic. I didn't. I politely explained where I stand on this and what I believe God has for us, the best that he has for us in terms of relationships. But I also leaned in on love and genuine kindness for her because I'm looking at her as not some damaged pieces of, of, of goods. We're all damaged. I'm looking at her as she's created in the image of God just like me. And so I said to her, nothing that you do is ever going to stop me from loving who you are as my sister. And you know what? Nothing you do is going to stop the love of God for you through Christ. Nothing is going to stop that. The only thing that stops anything like that or sends us to the bad place is complete disbelief and blasphemy against Jesus Christ. That is the only thing I see in Scripture that sends you there. And even then, I will still reside in the power of the Holy Spirit that can turn a heart. I will never, ever say, oh, mm -mm, there, there you go. Because that writes them off. It sees them not as a crea crea creation in the image of God. It sees them just as damaged and a line. You've got to get right in order to, to get right. And I also communicated her, and we've had to live this out, that not only would I love her in that way, but also her choice and partner, that I would not treat that person in any way, shape, or form that would also communicate damaged goods because they are both created in the image of God, and I'm going to lean on that. That's unusual kindness. That's kindness out of the ordinary. It's not in my power. It's not in your power. We're not given the right to change someone's heart. That's not for us to do. But we do have the God-given power to be bold and courageous and demonstrate unusual kindness, love, and grace. Those are the things that bring joy to our heart. It's so much easier to be love and lovely and kind and, and, and be kind to one another and be gracious to one another. They wanted to name Paul a god. And he chooses not at that time to rebuke them for that. He just chooses to continue to be kind and merciful because of the grace and mercy that, that they have received from them. And in so doing, elevates the gospel for these people. They get to see the gospel in action, not a turn and you must. No, he just acts it out. He was there for three months. Don't mistake that in three months' time, Paul most likely preached the gospel while he was there. Just Luke doesn't record that here because I think he's elevating this foundational piece of evangelism, of bold and courageous witness, that it must be fueled first by genuine kindness for one another, a love, a grace-filled mercy, love for one another. It's God, that has to come first before we hope that they even begin to think like we do. Lead with that love. Lead with the God who created them and loves them and the desires that they know his son. We have an opportunity right now in our time, this week, 
This week's election week. There are battle lines drawn. You go down a road, one has a sign that says yes, one has a sign that says vote no. Neighbors all doing all this. We have the time right now with great humility and compassion to be beacons of light and love and extend unusual kindness to one another. It doesn't mean that you step away from what you believe the Bible to say is true. And if asked, give your answer. Give your answer for sure. But what it does mean is that we need to simply lead with Christ in those situations to prepare the fields for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do their heart-changing, transformative work. We're just the laborers, my friends. We're just laborers in the field. And our labor is to be primarily filled with love, grace, and unusual kindness. That's how we begin to see a revival. That's how we begin to see in this time and in this culture, people who are hostile towards God begin to be, make that turn. That if they see God's people extending that love and that unusual kindness, that maybe, just maybe, this God in whom they have been rejecting and hostile towards is actually calling them into a transformative, life-giving relationship with his son, Jesus. Who are we to ever draw about a line and say, nope, you have to do these things in order to cross over. It's an act of unusual kindness. It begins with grace of the unusual kindness towards one another. May that be our bold and courageous witness. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, challenges and I thank you for the opportunity. You give us opportunities to obey. You give us opportunities to love one another. May we never, ever, ever... Look at those in such a way that we think it's not worth it. God, empower us and our witness to be unusually kind, a kindness that is filled with your grace and your love, that covers over all sins and all damaging parts of our lives and seeks the full restoration and peace in your son, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray, amen. Sing like never before to worship his holy name. My friends, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be beacons of light and hope in this hostile world. And we have the power through God to show the grace, the mercy, and the kindness that we have received through Christ. And so as you leave here today, do that this week. Do that this week when conversations turn south based off of politics and what might be going on. Choose to show the unusual kindness and the grace instead of the lines of hostility and division. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.